Welcome to Mystic Moon Cafe this fine September evening in meteorological fall. All I can say is September is it, which means it's already it's already October. So we're going to get ghostly and spooky and it'll be amazing. So tonight on Spooky Story Night, we have so many torrid tales, of torture, horror, blood, brain sucking ghosts and more fun things just for you. <laughs> So, <laughs> so tonight we have our lovely, I'll just go counterclockwise on my screen, Wendy, Canada Mike, and the lovely June to tell our tales. We may have other guests joining along the way, so it's important that you stick along. But with that, let's do our introduction. Say hello to our lovely audience that's just waiting to get spooked out. Wendy, to you, my fine lady. Ah, well, I'm Wendy. <laughs> it, it's been a long day. Um, I lost my story. Ah, there's Chandler in the chat. But we have darkness, the smell of blood on the chill wind, footsteps behind you, a sharp breath that never gets a chance to become a scream. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's all I got. Okay. <laughs> I set the ambiance. Thank you, everybody. Down to our lovely, down to our lovely import for the evening, Canada Mike. Never been called an import before, but I kind of like it. <laughs> so I have a couple. I have the Ouija and the Pitbull. I have. The Bark of Three. Ooh. And I have the number 21. Cool. All real stories Ooh. that I experienced. Yep. That's what I got for you guys. Okay. Let's go over to the lovely operatic <laughs> June very pale june right now that's okay i mean she just needs a little blood some iron you know put on those so. fangs you know just bite some stranger on the street i'm gonna have to mr creepy behind me you know who knows i think he just wiggled his eyebrows at you hubba hubba 100 <laughs> percent. but i will think of stories as we go along there we go <laughs> No, I do. I do have some um, from past investigations that, you know, I don't think I really ever told some of those stories um, from my old group that I was in, Northwest mm. Paranormal Research Group. Or when King amazing. County Paranormal, too. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, I June, were yeah. you like a paranormal group ragdoll just tossed around? <laughs> I had to find the perfect group. Okay. And she found it with a ghost. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. I did. I kind of started off with taking classes at the University of Washington, some paranormal classes. And the woman teaching the class was like, you know, you're really cool. Why don't you go with me and we'll investigate Comet Lodge Cemetery? And I was like, oh, that'd be awesome. So I started uh, doing some investigations with her. And we added some other people. Um, and I was like, you know, I really love this. I think I would like to do this all the time. 
So that's when I just started, you know, kind of being on the lookout for, a, I would say, a real group, you know, that had T-shirts and everything. <laughs> <laughs> but did they have sweaters? They, well, after I got in there, they had sweaters. <laughs> Ghost has hoodies. I'm just saying you can get crew neck or you can get a hoodie. I'm just saying. I like it. I like it. I think I do. Wait, you guys have you guys have paranormal courses in your universities down there? Well, we used to. Um, It was like an evening class for, you know, some of the people that uh, was a night night class, community center classes or whatever they're called at the colleges. Um, Yeah, it's not like an official credit, (laughs) which would be awesome. Um, Continuing education. Yes. Continuing education. Thank you. That's what I was talking about. But, uh, but yes, I, I tried to take a lot of those. And then I, then I went to Neil McNeil's class where he did the um, uh, really good classes. I actually took several of his classes because I loved it. And he would always end the class with an investigation. And most of the times it was at the Walker Ames house in Fort Gamble. And that's where I had my very first, Paranormal experience that I could not explain away. I mean, before I had, I I heard EVPs, you know, I might have seen a shadow out of the corner of my eye and things like that. But, you know, part of me was like, yeah, maybe that can be explained. But, you know, the Walker Ames house is where I was like, there's something out there. I can't deny it anymore. (laughs) So. That was my, yeah, that was my, my journey. I've been (laughs) wanting to take an online demonologist course just to say I'm a demonologist. It's like 30 bucks. (laughs) I can add it to my business card. Demonologist, PhD, Dr. Demon. (laughs) Until you tell Ross that. (laughs) Excuse me. Something smells like sulfur in here. So we won't tell Ross, and then the next time I'm in the states with you guys, he'll be like, "Hey, Ross, I'm a certified demonologist." Slip him your card. Just slip him your card. Oh my! And God. go and just go. Bam. <laughs> yeah. I would troll. I would royally troll him. You haven't been on car rides when he starts talking about people who get their demonology degree. (laughs) For members of a ghost, we're just like, Ross, please just go sit down. And we we don't need to hear the rant. We hear the rant every other Sunday at 3.30 Pacific. (laughs) It's fun to do the trolling. It's fun to do the trolling. It is. It is. It is. 30 bucks, man. And you get like 10% off if you sign up now. Is that... Is that Canadian or Americanski? America. Okay. Marka. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Fuck yeah. <laughs> so shall we get to our first stories of the evening? Please. Nah. Please do. Of the evening. Okay. Um, before I begin, so I'll just kick this off with a true ghost story out of the Ashburn neighborhood on the southwest side of my hometown, Chicago. Seattle, don't get me wrong. I love you very much, but we can't deny that I am Chicagoan. Yes. Um, before we do that, I will say I have been doing a binge. And if Jennifer Page and Maxwell from Odd Tonic Society out there, oh. if you're listening, I miss 
tonic so much and i i hope you do a halloween or at least another victorian christmas because i've been binging if you see that spike in the stats that was me please come (laughs) back and do something okay i actually listened to a couple of them at work yesterday yeah okay (laughs) i miss you odd tonic okay odd tonic society i invited them tonight but i never heard okay but if they're listening i miss you guys all right. If you so this this story is from a true ghost story. This is from Maria Torres. Shout out to Maria. I'll send you a link to this after the fact. So I'll just get into it. Um, the background for the Ashburn neighborhood is I had already mentioned it's on the southwest side. So if you know where Midway Airport, it's that it's that way. Back in the day and after the great Chicago fire, 1871, I believe, don't Chicago historians don't come for me with that. It's like 1871 to 1873. Just be happy. I got the 1870s right. Okay. It got its name Ashburn because this is one of the spots where they piled up the rubble from the city after the fire. Now, most of it was pushed into Lake Michigan. So if you're familiar with the city of Chicago, you got Michigan Avenue that cuts you know, straight line right down the city um, and not far off from the lake. Everything east of Michigan Avenue is essentially reclaimed land. That's where a lot of the wreckage rubble was pushed into the lake and it created land. So if you're in Streeterville, Grant Park, that is essentially a smoldering cemetery from the fire. Ashburn is the other side of where everything was pushed out inland. And that's where this story takes place. So I'll just kick it off from the beginning. I'll read it straight through. A lot of it is an interview. So uh, I'm not going to try to be Maria Torres (laughs) and mime her voice. But here we go. One moment, please. Let me have a little uh, Jack Daniels liquid courage. What's the name of the story? I just called it Ashburn Ghost Story. Okay. Here we go. Maria, a proud grandmother, found the perfect home for a family in the Ashburn neighborhood on Chicago's southwest side. A few weeks after she moved in, paranormal activity picked up, and it got worse when her granddaughter would visit. So here's her story. I think we were here less than a month when the sound started coming from the basement. It was the spring of 2010. I remember it because it was my granddaughter's birthday and our house was warm and our housewarming was on the same weekend. It was really strange when I heard the sounds. We kept the door locked because it was just a lot of stuff piled up and we didn't want anyone to go down to see the mess or get hurt by tripping over one of the boxes. The previous owner sold the house at less than market value and they moved out quickly had been in their family for nearly 100 years. Altogether, there had only been three or four owners since it was built in 1880. Maria didn't understand why they'd leave some of their possessions, but she agreed to donate it to charity to help expedite the sale. In the rush for the birthday party, I didn't even think about cleaning the basement. I just put more stuff downstairs. And once I had done that, something changed, and it started to give me the creeps. The activity started with light knocks. Sometimes when I did the dishes, I'd hear the knocks. They were soft, more like taps, 
and I just ignored them because I thought it was my imagination. Over the next two weeks, the Nux became stronger, and her dogs, two Siberian Huskies, would avoid the hallway by the basement. And that was the really strange part. They're really big dogs. They're not afraid of anything, but they wouldn't go near the basement. Mm -hmm. During the birthday party, a new sound emerged. Footsteps on the stairs, basement stairs, I should say. I heard the sounds of steps, and it was more like someone was running up and down them. I thought it would, a kid got down there, but the door was locked. You can only get in the basement from the hallway entrance. And so this is a hallway, if you're familiar with older style houses, front door, living room, kind of a hallway that leads you into a kitchen. And it was like halfway from that. And this is me elaborating. This isn't in our story, but for, for geography of the house, it's about halfway between the front door and the kitchen in the back. And I checked a few times during the party and housewarming just to make sure no one was down there. The footsteps and knocks continued from time to time over the next month. It was much more noticeable when Maria's granddaughter visited. When we heard the sound, the dogs would circle around Victoria, that's her granddaughter's name, and stop her from going down the hallway. So they would come, two dogs, and block the hallway. I had been down there to check it out a few dozen times. And I never found anything, no kids, no adults, no pests like a raccoon, cat, you know, large rat, you know, all the things you find in a big city. I couldn't really explain it. Then one night I decided to see if I could catch something in the act. I sat at the top of the stairs and waited to see what was causing it. And Maria fell asleep at that time, but she woke up because she heard a really loud creak on the stairs. It got really cold. I shook myself to wake, to wake up and turn on the stair lights, but I, could, I couldn't see anything. But in the corner where I had piled cardboard boxes, you know, because of storage, they shook. So Maria went down and turned on all the lights. And as she was like moving around the boxes, she thought she would see if some kind of cat might have gotten in. Maybe it's a rat. It's a cellar, big city. You never know what's going to crawl through. Maybe there was a broken window somewhere. And she didn't find anything. So when she turned around back toward the stairs, the boxes shook again. And there was a clang. It's like someone took a hammer and hit a sheet of metal. That clang. So she moved the boxes aside. And then the bottom of the basement, there was this old grate. So if you can imagine those checkerboard grates in the side of the wall. And when she went down and she looked inside, she saw something behind it, but it wasn't an animal. It was more like an object. And she heard the clanging again, but inside that metal grate, that little hall, that's Mikey saying he wants to come in and visit me. It's not part of the story. So she was alone in the basement just the boxes and where she had put over some of the lawn care items, the rakes and stuff like that. They weren't moving and she didn't understand what was causing them. So like there was an epiphany that she had. It's like, okay, I'm going to open up the grate. I'm going to check this out. So she grabbed a screwdriver and undid the crate. It was a little rusty, took a little bit to undo it. She got it out. And then as she did that, about a half dozen or so of the boxes right around her shook violently going back and forth. You know, you hear that real rustling, 
like you've got the box, the tops of the boxes open, you know, the flaps and they're like wiggling around. And so she finally gets that grate off of it. It took like a good 10 minutes and the whole time these boxes are shaking and she reached in and it was a toy car. And so she reached into that grate feeling around and she felt the metal. It was an old toy car, like something you have seen in the thirties or forties. And she pulled it out, dusted it off and set it down on the floor. And it scooted about a foot on its own and then stopped. And when that happened, it seemed like the air lifted and she felt normal again. It wasn't like the creepy environment. So she went back upstairs and her dogs were now sitting in front of the door. Remember, they didn't want to go down that hallway. They blocked her granddaughter. And now the dogs were just perfectly fine with the basement. And so Maria says from this time, this article is written in 2014. No more knocks, no more footsteps, and the house seems to be at peace. So that's my story. That's a good story. Thank you. Thank Maria. Thank you, Maria. Thank I was going to do a really Thank loud you, bang on the microphone when you were talking about the knocks to see if I could get June to jump. Oh, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need a clang. We need a clang. One moment. <laughs> good. You don't know how many times Ross has tried to make me jump. It doesn't work. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty even. <laughs> Unless so that was our... <laughs> That was our kickoff story. I shall now pass it back because I have to get Mikey. Mikey's just like, daddy, let me in. So one moment, please. (laughs) One moment, please. I can tell the next one, the Ouija board, the Ouija board seance. We're going to put two of those things together for this one. So it's a true story. I observed uh, a couple of it. This is back when I was in high school. So we're going on 20 years ago. Um, It all started when a group of friends started to get into the occult. You know, everyone goes through that phase, probably somewhere in between grade eight and 12. Like you get right into the Ouija, you watch the exorcist and your mind's blown. That was the seventh grade. Yeah. Seventh grade. I've still never uh, seen it. One of the females that was there, um, she claimed to be a a witch. She was Wicca, and she practiced it, dressed like it, lived it. Worshipped nature. She was the real deal. Everyone else was kind of posing and trying. Um, And she's like, we're going to do a seance tonight. And then I'm like, "Uh, okay, I'll try it out. And the others were very apprehensive. So that night, we go to a friend's house. His parents weren't home for the weekend. They were gone every weekend to their cabin. So this was the free-for-all, do all your occult calling to everyone every weekend, right? And we're doing the seance. And I forget the words. She was chanting. She was chanting these words. We all had to hold hands, like, like in the movies. And the lights, the true story, this disclaimer right now. The light started to flicker. And then the glass that she had in the middle with one of the candles started to crack. Could I, I, I chalked it up to the to the fire, the flame from the candle. But then 
the other two started to crack. And then the saucer started to vibrate. And then one of the females that was there is like, what's happening? And then she's like, it's my friends. They're coming to join us. And then all of a sudden, not SHITing you, the door, so we're in a rec room. There was a loud knock of three, one, two, three. And one of the people that were observing opened the door. And when this door opened, it looked like somebody took their hand and went through all of the curtains all around the windows. Like, you know, looking like someone walking through the curtains. And then this gust of wind or whatever it was came to the center and it cracked the, the, the uh, candle open and the flame shot up. Then all, the, then all of the candles went out in the room. Fast forward to the next weekend. We're like, well, let's bring a Ouija board since we had reactions. And um, I was a little skeptical of it still back then. And we're using the Ouija board. And one of the girls that was there was like, okay, if you're real, what's my worst fear? So the Ouija board was doing like the figure eight for a while. And then everyone's like, no, you're doing, you're doing it. But all of a sudden it started to spell W H I T E P I T B U L L three times. It spelled white pit bull three times. And then obviously she's crapping her pants because that's what her worst fear was. It's not scared of like the breed or dogs, just that specific color and breed, probably from a movie or something. So that night, being like kids, you go to 7-Eleven at midnight, go get some Slurpees, hot summer night. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this pit bull comes, a white pit bull, bolts it to the group where we were at. This dog separates her from the group, corners her in the alley behind the store, barking, growling, jaw smacking, lunging, and then just looks at her and runs away. And after that, she kind of changed and I think met Jesus based on a couple weekends of that. And that's my story about the Ouija board sounds. It's, and it all actually happened, man. Like that's, I, I, I'm telling the story because I was there and especially with that pit bull thing. I'm like, I think that's one of the, top, one of the parts where I'm like, oh man, I got to start investigating because of things like that. Why does that happen? the end that was good wow that's pretty cool pretty intense <laughs> hi char hi char oh hey guys sorry i'm late that's okay no worries you guys got all these cool backgrounds and i've got chaos <laughs> <laughs> sorry mine's disappearing <laughs> oh, I, mine doesn't do backgrounds. I'm like, of course it doesn't, because I know. That sounded like a great story. I'm sorry I missed the beginning of it. That's okay. We were talking seances to Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've got a I got a Ouija board story to tell. If you want to hear it, sure. sure. Okay. So again, this this. These are stories that are coming right from the beginning of when I started publishing on Ghostly Activities. It is another true story. 
And this one is at Loyola University, Chicago. So on the very far north side of Chicago, right before you get to Evanston, uh, the neighborhood is Rogers Park. But I don't think that's as important as the campus. And this is a true story with my friend, Catherine. So if you'd like to know, the header, the subheader is Catherine never expected college fund to involve the supernatural. Hmm. So here we go. Um, and if you're not familiar with uh, Loyola's Lakeshore campus, Loyola, Chicago, just do an image search for it so you can get a feel for it. Um, so in 2002, Catherine had begun her freshman year at Loyola University on Chicago's North Side. And like many of her con classmates, she had heard about the supposedly haunted 13th floor, which is the top floor, of the Mundelein Center. And that's important. If you go look at it, you can see the Gothic building for it. And it's one of the oldest buildings on campus. So one night in early October, she and five of her friends decided to check it out with a Ouija board in tow. So normally Catherine would have had a pack of cigarettes with her. Tonight, she couldn't find them. They weren't on the kitchen table when she had to go out and meet her friends. So at the time of the story, the center was under renovations and all the floors above the eighth were gutted. So, you know, just torn out. It's like cement, steel, and some support columns, just to give you an idea. And that made getting to the 13th floor a bit challenging. They couldn't take your standard elevator. So instead, they used one of these vintage service elevators. So if you could imagine a service elevator from about the 1920s, right, kind of small, rickety, and rattly. But they had to sneak through and get around the campus security desk, which was on the main floor. It was just down the hall right behind it. So they split up because um, only three people could really fit into the elevator. So think service elevator. A lot of these buildings used to be hotels and stuff back in the day. So you would just push in your little cart with the food on it and go up. Just enough room for a person and one of these tables. And it also was one of those manual closing doors to lock. If you can imagine, you pull the grate across and then you hit the lever to go up. Really, it's old school. And there wasn't a working light inside it. So it became pitch black and it rattled back and forth as it ascended to 13 floors. So when they get up there, it was just one of those, you know how they've got the little hook lights at construction sites, a few of these low powered light bulbs doing this illumination. So you can imagine the deep sharp shadows that are crisscrossing this construction site. And they would flicker off and on because, you know, the power wasn't as stable as you normally see. So once everyone got up there and they got up there, so I'm just assuming they paid off the dude or <laughs> he went on lunch and they weren't expecting anyone, but everyone got upstairs and they put out the Ouija board on the floor. Now, they were a little worried because the security guard from downstairs does go up through these floors and does a walk around, but it's the kind of thing where the elevator's open. It's a big, open kind of mon <laughs> of a space. You just look out, everything's open. But still, they come up 
And the one thing you didn't want is to get one of these reprimands as a freshman living on campus, right? Your first month on campus. So this board goes out on this cold cement floor and three of them put their fingers on the planchette and started asking questions. Catherine was sitting back. She watched three of her friends do this. And it went back and forth for about 15 minutes. Nothing was really happening until Becky, one of Catherine's new friends, simply asked the question, okay, spirits, do you have a message for any of us? And the planchette slowly slid across the board and spelt out K-A-T-I, sorry, K-A-T-I-E, Katie. And then it started to do now over and over and over again. Now, this stunned Catherine because her family calls her Katie. She had just switched her name to Catherine when she went to college. And, you know, everyone pretty much freaked out at this time. And they stopped the session, ran to the elevator. All five of them crawled in doing the suicide plunge, right? Because it's not made for that many people. And they left the Ouija board up there. So while that was creepy, when Catherine got home, back to her dorm, on her bed was her misplaced pack of cigarettes with all of the individual cigarettes scattered around the bed and some on the floor. But the thing is, Catherine lived alone in that room and that door was locked. Okay. That's creepy. That's creepy. Good one. I hope you enjoyed the performance. You know, this was one of my first articles I had written, so I tried to amp it up a little bit. Good. The the stuff happened. The stuff happened. Mm -hmm. The performance added to it. So I'll just have more Jack Daniels liquid courage because this is like (laughs) draining for me. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wants to tell the next tale. Hmm. Well, I could, I could tell my. One of my very first investigations with a professional group, (laughs) I think it was about 2008, and um, we were invited to investigate the Bellevue Teen Center, which actually used to be an old church, and um, Sorry, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> it, it actually, yeah, it used to be an old church. So when we were investigating the place, we were, you know, just kind of going in. This was like one of my first investigations. And, um, well, you know, like so with a group, let's just say. And I go up on one of the floors and I swear out of the corner of my eye, I saw a little girl run by in a dress and I thought, wow, how young are these kids here? Um, And why is this little child here, you know, past midnight? Because it wasn't an overnight place. It was just a place where kids came, listened to, you know, bands and music and 
played, you know, all these different games and the pool table and just a hangout place, basically, you know, for them and, and uh, nice, good fun. But I swear I see this little girl run by and I was like, wow, what's this little girl doing here? I think it was about one in the morning at the time. So I go down and I try to find the um, person in charge, the director, and I said, I think there's a little girl in here and I saw her running by and I swear I heard little footsteps too. All of a sudden he stopped and his face just went completely pale and he goes, oh my God, I've seen her too. And he just said that and then he was just like in shock because, you know, I mentioned this. Well, I, I don't know. I think you guys with the teen center with some of the EVPs that we got, one of them was I was talking about really wanting some coffee and it sounds like a young woman's voice say, you know, I want it. And then there's another one where I go into a room and I said, is there anybody in here that wants to you know, say anything? And you hear this creepy little voice go, nobody, <laughs> you know, things like that. But it's pretty, you know, pretty amazing. Um, so, you know, we get this, we hear, you know, footsteps walking when nobody else is walking, we're hearing all this stuff. And I swear, you know, I'm hearing little footsteps too running around. So I was like, wow, that is really wild. So we go to the reveal to show them, you know, some of the things we found because they were really hoping we wouldn't find anything so they could tell the kids that it's not haunted. Don't worry about it. But I was like, look what we found and <laughs> look at our experiences. So I had this, you know, nice big report. As soon as I started talking about the little girl, their bulletin board, which they had had on the wall for years, all of a sudden decided to fall down at that very moment. And we all heard, and it sounded like, <laughs> just like that. And the guy in charge was like, no, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was really interesting that uh, it was like one of my very first investigations of the group. And, um, but sadly, they tore the place down a few years ago. Um, but on it is either I'm trying to get the, the picture of it and try to match up the trees where I think it might be, because I think it's either where the tennis courts are or there's a little baseball field next to it. Um, so I would really like to go there and it's not too far from where I live now. It's like maybe, you know, maybe barely a half a mile from where I live now. And I'd really like to go there and just kind of see if I can walk around and do an EVP session and see if there's anything still there. See if there is a little girl that's still running around. So, you know, I think it'd be awesome. But not really a scary story. You know, honestly, I don't really have any scary stories. I mean, except for the one where we were, you know, at the Montana State Prison and I got really freaked out. But, you know, there's really not a lot of scary stories. It's like, maybe I'm dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the scare. <laughs> <He's in. laughs> I don't feel. <laughs> yeah. So. We can hear your heartbeat from here, June. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. 
<laughs> or I could tell the story of the first time that my great uncle took me fishing when I was five. <laughs> That's NC-17. We can't have that. <laughs> so bad. I know. I'm awful. Let me have more Jack Daniels. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Well, I'll think of a better one too. I, okay. I know I have I have better ones that I I've got oh you're on mute June. I got one two <laughs> I actually wrote down some. I got seven tails. Please tell some Just, more. No, Should I have to pass shark, the buck. Or? Yes, we need shark. Yes, shark. Oh, so are we doing just stories or are we doing scary stories? Oh, look, look, girl, it, you, you do whatever floats yeah. your boat. You showed well, up, you get to tail your tail. You get, you tell <laughs> that tale. It don't matter my... if it's true or not. <laughs> well, I only told true ones, but I think everybody knows my grand scary story already. So um, I'm trying to come up with something. This one was kind of cool. I mean, this one kind of was at the beginning of everything. Um. I think this was pre-Veliska even, June. So we, um, I took a group up to a haunted hotel locally here. And I had just random groups of people I knew were into the paranormal. And I'd only been there a few times. And um, we were all sitting in the cafe. And I went up to the front desk to ask questions. The owner and one of the other people were there. And they said, um, do you have anybody else that you've assigned a room to? And I'm like, I didn't assign any rooms to anybody. And they're like, well, we just like literally this little old man came in with this piece of paper and had a room number on it and said, you assigned him to a room. And I'm like, what? And I like lean over and I look in the cafe and I'm like, all my people are in there. I don't know who you're talking about. And I didn't write anything on paper for anybody but rooms they got to pick their rooms and they're like well he looked like this and I'm like I have no idea who you're talking about so of course they go check the room and there's nobody in the room that they had checked him into and so it was like okay that was interesting but that whole night we had so many things happen we had one girl was doing um kind of a take on a Gansfeld where she had the blindfold on and the headphones on and she ended up morphing like in front of like six of us. We just watched her like all of a sudden like shift her hair grew. I mean, like it was weird. It was bizarre. Um, I tapped in with somebody and found out who it was later by picture from the owner when I talked to her. And then when we went to leave the next morning, we all get ready to go. And my car keys are missing. Gone. Can't find it. And I had at the time one of those big key starter things like look like a credit card. Couldn't find it anywhere. So we started tearing up. We literally were like all 15 of us going through the whole entire place, everywhere he had been. We went into every single room, even rooms that we hadn't even rented that night. And we were the only ones in the hotel. So we had checked every single place. We couldn't find them. Ended up contacting a psychic who knew the owner and said, where are the keys? And she's like, it's in one of the rooms. We're like, oh my God, we've gone in every room three times. We were lifting up furniture and everything else. And then the one room that I had connected with the spirit, we opened the door and my keys were smack in the middle of the room. And I'm like, we were just in here three times and those keys were not there. So it was pretty cool. We had a lot of things happen that night. Um, 
but the guy checking in, I have no idea who that ended up being. We just never saw the guy again. Needless to say, I ended up going back and working at that hotel for a few years. So I was like, I'm in, <laughs> sign me up. So it was kind of cool. We had a lot of really cool experiences at that place. Yeah, I, never nice. got, I never got there to, to visit. Mm. I know. <laughs> so on that tip, I have a tale about cars and car keys, but mm. I also have a hotel story. <laughs> I'm crowdsourcing if you'd like me to tell one of the two. <laughs> hotel time. Go for it. The hotel. Oh, that's one of the longer ones. Okay, just wait. Me, 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 me. <laughs> and you know, I don't want to hog, but this is kind of fun, guys. Yes. <laughs> so we'll do the hotel. This is a true story at an actual, you know, real life hotel. Anyone can book. It's the Fister Hotel in downtown Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, this one's a little long. Just wait, where are you? Here we go. Um, so to give you some context, this is one of the oldest hotels in Milwaukee. It's not far from the historic third ward, which is the oldest part of Milwaukee. So <clears throat> me, 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 me. Okay. So Tom checked into the Fister Hotel in downtown Milwaukee. He was in town just to meet a few business partners and clients over the next few days, and the hotel was prime location in between all of them. So he wanted to take his time and get some sleep because this was a luxury for most of his trips. He is a traveling salesperson. But the Fister, host, Fister Hotel's ghostly residence had other plans. So he headed to the 17th floor, which is one of the top floors. There's two towers to the Fister. And it was January, as you can imagine, in Wisconsin, a very cold night, not very busy. There, he only saw a few guests in the lobby and at the restaurant, and he was alone in his elevator as it went up. The hallway leading to his room was empty. It was just very still. A few minutes after he got to his room, the bellhop came, dropped off his bags. And then he took out his dop kit, put it in the bathroom. So dop kit for dudes, you know, it's a little thing with your shaving accessories and stuff in it. And he turned on TV and was watching a college basketball game. He ordered room service after that. So when he picked up the phone and he first made the call, it got disconnected. There was some really abrupt, loud static on the line. And he was just thinking, you know, it's an old hotel. Maybe they have an old line. This stuff happens. So he tried again and he got through, but it would cut out every few seconds with that really loud shh, shh type sound. So he had to actually make his order repeat it about three times. This was his first day at the hotel. And while, you know, it was annoying, annoying, it wasn't really that weird for what happened all night long. So 10 minutes after he ordered, he got a knock on his door, three taps. And, you know, considering what he was ordering, said, 
you know, when you talk to the lady, it, it would take like 30 to 40 minutes to bring the food. So we opened the door and no one's there. So you can imagine you open it, nothing in the hallway. The first thing you think, kids, someone is staying on this floor. They've got kids. Well, shits, we're playing a game with me. The server came about like she said, 30 to 40 minutes later. And he asked, okay, who else is on the floor? I've been hearing strange knocks on the door. And she said that they were four guests, including him, but no kids, all adults. So he continued, you know, came in, had his food. He's watching the game. It's about 11 p.m. at night. And he set his alarm to go off at 7 a.m. He pulled back the covers, clicked off the button of the remote control. And as the screen faded to black, he saw a silhouette. And it was a man. It was a man wearing one of those Tyrolean hats. So if you can imagine, you know, kind of pointed the feather type thing you would see in Germany. So he shook his head. He's like, whoa, what was this? And he had flown in from Phoenix early in the morning, a very long layover in Minneapolis. He's like, okay, maybe I am just tired and I'm seeing some stuff. So he gets up. He's like, okay, whatever. I had my food. I got to brush my teeth before bed. And he goes into the bathroom and his stop kit, that bag with his toiletries was zipped open and flung on the floor. And all of the contents were scattered about it. So he's like, okay, this thing was securely up against the mirror. And I didn't hear Jack about this. So, you know, no one came in the room to do this. He had been since he checked in. So he didn't, he didn't call anyone at the time, but he just went about, brushed his teeth and stuff. It's about 1130 PM now. And he checked his alarm settings. You know, it's a digital alarm clock just to make sure everything is cool because we had problems with the phone. There's some weirdness going on. The last thing he needs is a bunch of crazy electrical problems. So I met Tom at the Milwaukee airport um, while I was waiting to come back from a business trip to Seattle and we were just talking. So he, Tom was telling me about the evening and he had some really hard time sleeping. He would fall asleep, you know, get settled in and everything. And he would feel this pressure on his chest pushing down and he couldn't really breathe. Well, it's, it wasn't like apnea because apnea, you know, it's kind of like a snoring thing and you wake up, he didn't have apnea and he had this pressure and he would toss and turn a few times and he felt very, very cold, like someone had opened the window. You know, Milwaukee in January, if there's a crack, you're going to feel the 20-degree weather. But he looked at the thermostat. It was a digital thermostat. It said 70 degrees, but he was shivering under those covers. So we thought, you know, maybe there's a mechanical problem. Maybe it's not the heat. Maybe it's doing air conditioning. And he rolled over, it's now about 2.15 in the morning. And he kept feeling colder, colder. And at some point he rolled over and he heard a very deep laugh. 
this time he reached for his cell phone, which was on that little, you know, where the lamp is and stuff. And he looked at his phone and his phone was glitched out. And on that digital alarm clock, he set for seven in the morning. He's now reading zero, zero, zero. You know, like it had been reset by something. And he sat up in his bed and he looked at the foot and at the foot, you know, it's a nice hotel and they have that kind of thing where back in the day you would put blankets in it. I don't know what you call it. It's kind of like this container thing at the end of it. And that's where he put his clothes for the next day. And he just saw the silhouette, very dark silhouette, and it threw his clothes at him from that bench and it hit him in the face and something pushed him down on his shoulders, knocking him back in this bed. And he kept hearing that laugh and he was pinned. He couldn't move. He was wiggling his shoulders. He's trying to get free. And finally he was able to throw his clothes off and he just ran out boxers, you know, wife beater tank, (laughs) you know, wife beater undershirt. And he just went downstairs and he's like, move me to a different room or get me the fuck out. And so they changed his room. He went up, he grabbed his stuff. He had a bellhop that was on duty come with him. And he went to another room and they checked the heat and they checked the space and everything was fine. It turns out at the Fister, this is not an uncommon occurrence. Creepy. Very creepy. I hope you like that one. Sound and clap. This really isn't a story, but I I just got to tell you with the Sorrento Hotel that's, uh, you know, in Seattle that they're claiming is not haunted. (laughs) I did an eye roll there if you didn't see it. Um, (laughs) it's a beautiful old hotel that's right up at first hill. And, um, when I used to work in HR, we would have people come in from all over the the country and interview for different positions. And every once in a while I had to go pick them up and we put them up in the Sorrento, which, because especially for the executives, it's a really nice and little poshy, you know, and has a nice little, you know, place you can drink and visit with other people. It's really nice there. Um, but I just have to say, he didn't know anything about me or anything, you know, that I was into the paranormal at that time. And I went to pick him up and he's, he's like, Oh, he goes, I'm so tired. I'm just so tired. He goes, I'm, I'm really going to crap out on this interview. And I was like, why? What's, what's happened? He goes, he just kind of laughed and he goes, Oh, I said, well, what's wrong? I said, didn't you sleep very well? You know, at the Sorrento? He goes, okay, I'm just going to tell you. He goes, all of a sudden he goes, I was awoken to someone shaking my foot and I opened my eyes and there was a man standing at the base of my bed with no features. It was just, you know, completely black shadow. And he goes, I stood there paralyzed for a minute and I slowly moved my arm to the light because he goes, I thought somebody, you know, had just wandered in my room and was just at the foot of my bed staring at me. And I just went to the light. I turned it on and there was no one there. And he goes, okay. 
After that, he goes, my heart was beating so hard. He goes, I had to hold my heart in my chest. And I was walking back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I was just like, you know, maybe you shouldn't mention this at your interview. <laughs> I was like, please don't mention it at your interview. But I was just thinking that when you said that hotel story, I'll never forget that because he didn't know I was into the paranormal. And he's telling me, he goes, you're going to think I'm crazy. I'm like, not really. <laughs> and some of the stories he's heard, but he went down to the front desk and he told them about it. And one of the ladies kind of looks around. She says, um, yeah, we just call them our visitors. Don't worry about it. They won't hurt you. <laughs> the visitors. But anyway, I just think of the hotel story. That's like the only hotel story I, I remember, but that was really Damn. fun. <laughs> I don't think he got the job, though. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Who's next? Exactly. Who's next? A recent story. Okay. So I haven't told this one yet to a lot of people. So exclusive to Mystic Moon Cafe, Charlotte Savoie tells a terrifying <laughs> tale from the past year. Well, actually, in June. So yes. <gasps> yes. Okay. Nice. Go for it. <laughs> so me and uh, Kim and my friend Lisa, we went to. Waverly Hills for one night. And the very next night we went to Ohio Reformatory. So we did back-to-back -back overnights. Um, we did we the public, it? huh? I was yeah, going to say, the we, public one, we've, so done, they we've done that too, yeah. Oh, okay. well, Waverly is like, oh, I love Waverly. So um, we did back-to-back. -back. So we just did, we did the public tours. We didn't do the private one because, you know, we're not rich or anything. So. Um, <laughs> We Waverly was pretty good. I had an experience there and I can tell that one later, but this one comes from Ohio. So the second night we went to Ohio and it was hot. It, it's well, it's June. It's hot. It's Ohio. Who isn't cranky? Right. So um, we get there and we've just done overnight the night before we did get some sleep and whatever. But um, we go in and we're all kind of just like, well, we weren't like jumping excited like we were for Waverly the first night we were kind of like low energy or whatever but they do the public uh tour to kind of get you familiar with the whole place and then they feed you pizza so we do the tour we get the layout of the whole place we hear all the stories all this stuff and then we go down to where the pizza is and it's where the um the guards where they used to eat lunch or whatever it's that main little area and so we go in there and Kim's in front of me, Lisa's behind me and we're standing in a single line. And all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, Kim feels kind of off. Like just by her standing in front of me, like, you know, and I know she's hot and she's tired and she's the one that had done all the driving. So I'm like, she's probably just tired or whatever. And we get our pizza, we get over to the table, we sit down and she's kind of sitting over here. Lisa's over here. So we're kind of in a triangle. And I look over at her and I'm like, uh, that's not Kim. <laughs> I look over at Lisa and we're doing this whole like eyeball communication. I'm like, <laughs> you know, and she looks at her and she's like, and they, so we're just going back and forth. Like we both automatically are like, that's not her anymore. Like her face had shifted 
And I know her well enough that if she's hot, her face looks a certain way. And this, her face was not normal. And we're like, okay. And I'm like, are you doing okay? And she's like, yeah, I got pizza. I'm fine. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) You know? And so I waited a few seconds and I go, are you like really hot? And she goes, well, kind of. And I'm like, yeah, because your face is kind of red. And I just thought maybe you were overheated or something. And she's like, no, I'm fine. And I'm like, okay. So another minute goes by and Lisa's like, are you sure you're okay? And she's like, I'm fine. You guys, why? And she's like, cause you have a frowny face. And at that moment, I'm like, she's going to flip the table. Like she just looks so angry. And so she's like, no, I'm really fine. And then she tried to smile and she ended up with like terrible joker smile. And I'm like, Ooh, not okay. Yeah. It was not okay. I'm like, that's not a normal smile. And I'm like, maybe we should go outside, get some air. So we go outside. She's still crabby. We kind of go for a little bit longer, still crabby. She's not admitting it. It's about 45 minutes later, we go into solitary. And the minute we step into solitary, poof, it changes instantly. And I'm like, whatever that was, did not want to go to solitary for the night. Obviously she didn't say anything until we got home. And she goes, you know, when we were eating pizza at Ohio, I'm like, Um, yeah. What was that? And she goes, I don't know what it is, but I felt like something took me over and I was super, super angry and I didn't want to say it because I thought it would get worse. I'm like, no, you have to tell us because that's not okay. She goes, it wasn't until Lisa said to smile that I tried to smile and I felt like somebody was holding my cheeks down and then they just snapped and went up and I'm like, yeah, we kind of saw that. So that was kind of freaky and scary because we like we totally knew she had shifted and wasn't herself at the moment, but she wasn't saying anything. So we were trying to do everything we could to shift it without hopefully making her more angry in the process. So that was kind of kind of a weird little situation we had, but it was um, she wanted an experience. So she got one. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was an experience for sure. Yep. 100%. Mm-hmm. Hi, Chandler. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank hey, you, Chandler. You look like you look like a Sith Lord as well as that evil deacon from Fear Street 1666. I'm just saying. <laughs> I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, this is actually a lovely new cloak that I. Oh, no. Chandler, are we having Wi-Fi problems? What's going uh, on in the upstate New York? What's going on? No, okay. My webcam is just blah. One moment. Mm-hmm. It's a weird tech evening. Mm-hmm. Well, you can tell your terrible tale of torture, so debauchery, and blood. Oh, blood. Am I audible? Blood. You are audible. Mm-hmm. Yep. We can see yes. you too. Good. No, my webcam just has a tendency of disconnecting because, mm. well, technology. We all know how that works. <laughs> uh, now, this is a lovely new cloak that I got at a Renaissance Festival. Oh, nice. Recently. I like it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that I can now have creepy hood time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, no actual torture in this story. Depends how you see torture. Like... Is it like hostile torture, saw torture, or like psychological uh, torture? None of the above. None of the above. Okay. More sort of. I'll explain the torture afterwards. Okay, well, take it away, Chandler. Okay. 
bugger all. <laughs> okay. okay. So, need to have the creepy hood. Once upon a moonlit night, in a town not far apart from the likes of your own, a gaggle of youngsters did wander, ill-advised along the edges of the campus that they had been calling home the last few years. The college had stories, many and myriad in fiction or fact, ranging as far as mere whiffs of scent to figures foreboding and grim. They had all of them begun to dabble in arts, occult or other, and so sought to venture to the edges of what they had long deemed as safe. Much of the campus was clear, a few odd spots and long forgotten passages and boarded up tunnels, places none could access anymore, despite the many who tried. What they chose to do, however, was wander to the edge of the trees, where of late, mentions of shapes moving the dark, flitting between trees and shrubs, and ever a grim and repellent presence urging the wiser away. So come we to the collection of bold students, both on the campus and of the otherworldly, confident in their skill to tackle what might be wandering in the night, how wrong they would prove to be. When the group began to approach the trees, back behind the athletics building where the trees grew thicker, yet the moon's light could pierce down and show the grim skeletons of the bare trees, as they grew near, they began to see the flitting forms rumored by the others. A brief pause while we have technical difficulties. <laughs> Always. As they grew near, they began to see the flitting forms rumored by the others, but felt no force urging them away. They explained away the moving shadows as mere tricks of light, and perchance they were correct because they could easily replicate the patterns by retracing their tracks. And that was when one, more bold than the rest, decided to take steps beyond the edge, walking into the trees before them. Here is where he made his first mistake. The moment the words were trespassed upon, the shadows flitted again, but it was no trick this time. Something was there. And, it's new, and it knew its domain had been disturbed. Leave now, do not return. I warn you only once, a voice said, harsh, firm, and commanding. The young man who had entered the woods shuddered but remained still, beckoning his friends forward, calling them to join him to confront this presence. He figured it for a demon, some unnatural being who had taken over a place in the woods, driving people off, threatening them for the sake of keeping the place to his own, or else feed on their fear. They began to step in. Once more, however, the shadows shifted, but this time they drew in closer. Vague shapes began to form, first one, then another more beginning to circle and the sense of eyes glaring down upon them, growing on them. I have warned you once, that was the only one you were to receive. But to those who have trespassed, I will echo it. 
Leave now, do not return. The voice spoke out again as the collection of five entered the woods. The moon bright overhead, yet the shadows moving opposite the way of the branches and the way the wind bent them. We're not afraid of you, demon. We've taught ourselves how to handle the likes of you, and we will drive you out of here, the boldest said. Answered only with a growl as around him the shadows grew to the shape and the size of wolves. A demon am I? Can a demon do as we do? Can they repel you by will alone? Speak without stealing the voice of another, the form of another. You know nothing of what you face right now, and your insult is added to your trespass. The voice replied, the shadows drawing in closer. Stay back, dark figure. My power is gifted by the heavens and it repels your shadow, came the voice of another, a proud young woman who stood firm in her place, haughty of expression. Heaven has no power here, girl, and to seek to wield it against us adds further to our eye. The voice said, this time behind her. The woman flinched as though having been injured. Withdrawing her hand, the mark of a bite bruised the flesh on said extremity. You have been warned, now leave. This place is not for you. The voice said, anger palpable as the students stood their ground, though the eldest of the three girls trembled now. Then maybe you'll fear hell. I dry my power from that dark place, and I will strike at you with it, the boldest said, extending his hand as though to point and cast at the shadows. Hell is nothing to us. Demons tremble before my kind, just as your angel warrior does now, the voice said. Now the boldest being struck, a mark on his legs as though from claws. You trespass on land that is not yours. You seek to drive out what belongs. Leave or suffer the consequences. What bonds you think you have, you will lose. And you will be left broken, it threatened. If you, if you fear neither what is above or below, apart, perhaps in those combined you will, said another, a brother to the boldest among them. Before he could even move, he found himself tripped, fallen to the ground and driven in fear to press his back to a nearby tree. We are older. We are more potent than the divine or infernal. Do not insult us further or you will meet disaster. The voice roared out as another made to make their stand. Perhaps then a power of nature will hold you at bay or else drive you away. The second oldest of the women present said, holding her hands out, a shiver running through the woods as the shadows took note of her. You would not use such power against us and the source of such would bring no harm to us. It is kin to our own and should you bring it against us, it will instead turn on you. We will not harm you should you stand down, as your power is of the earth and as such in accord with our own. But you must leave now, the voice said, 
By now, a great wolf made of fluttering shadow was standing before them, several others circling around. The second oldest woman complied and as such remained untouched. She withdrew beyond the shade of the trees and steadied herself. The last, however, was far too brash. You hurt my friends. Even if you're not demons, I'm not afraid and I'm gonna drive all of you out of here, the youngest of the group said, angry and volatile. She lashed out with her energy, the trees bending and swaying around them as the wind responded, but the shadows were not deterred. You shall suffer the most, for you sought vengeance when it was you who were already the villain, who lashed out against those defending their domain when invaders came to drive them out. You are as vile as those who have always come to do this, and you will suffer for your crimes against us, the voice growled out, voice full of malice and righteous fury. The youngest and most foolish found herself knocked from her feet, thrown seemingly to the ground and landing some feet away, winded and panicking. She scurried, fleeing the woods with all speed she could, briar and thorn snagging as her clothing, at her clothing and cutting her skin, leaving her blood behind. You will never step beyond the edge of these woods again. Should you do so, you will fare even worse than you do now. Now, all of you, leave, the voice shouted, nearly howling as the other three ran with all speed all the way back to their dorms. They never spoke of the event again, save once to their fellows who had stayed behind. But they never stepped near the woods, never even sparing them a glance again. What the voice warned came to pass. Who were once friends became strangers, parting ways and never again revisiting the memories of their hubris and folly. Now there was another of their group who was wiser and who looked to the trees often after the story his friends had told him. One night he too made his way to the edge of the trees, placing a hand to the wood of the nearest tree and he heard the voice, but he did not find it threatening, did not feel it harsh. Or uninviting. You are not like those who came before you. You ask permission to enter our space. You show reverence to the world that came before. You are not like the others. You are like us. We invite, we invite you to join us, Brother Wolf, if you wish to, the voice said, familiar, warm, the wiser student bowed his head as he entered the woods, and unlike the rest of his friends, was at peace among the shadows. Bravo. I like the voices. Yes. Thank you. I was a big fan of the growly voice. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorites to use. That was pretty cool. Well done. And to think, Thank you. I just wrote that one while we've been doing this. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was actually very, very loosely influenced by an experience that some of my friends in college had. 
they were a bit full of themselves and they were always talking about, oh, well, the woods have a presence in them and it's really bad. And they just stopped going near them. Meanwhile, I would go over there and be like, hmm, it feels nice here. Okay, that's good. All right. Who's next? We have a specter attack story, but we haven't heard from Wendy at all tonight. (laughs) Wendy lost her story. Um. Do you want me to go again? This will be my last one because I flap my gums too much. I'll go. Okay, go for it, Merle. This one's called I Told You Not to Go There. (laughs) Okay. It's a story about coincidentally, one of the characters' name is Jake. Coincidentally. (laughs) It's a pretty, it's a pretty common name. So that's a can can, uh well I'm pseudo-Canadian. Spelled with a K. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to be different, man. <laughs> okay, we'll just say the Jacob comes with a U after the O and before the B, and there we go. Yeah, that's how we'll okay. do it. So okay. So the story's yeah. about Jake and Randy, okay? Jake and Randy were urban explorers wanting to start exploring in the bush. They do a lot of 4 by 4 They do a lot of backwoods camping. And they heard of this urban legend slash town that was abandoned in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Some say it was a silver rush town. Some say it was a gold rush town. Some say that it was a town on the border of the United States and Canada where they would bring in the tong. So the tong were the, the chikung tong were basically the Chinese version of the Freemasons, okay? And during the gold rush and during when they were putting in the the train tracks, the the Chinese, the Tong, would bring in workers from China and support them, help them get them on their feet, um, pay them, house them to make them have a life in Canada and the United States. Anyhow, so this town was called Gold City, believe it or not. And... Rumor has it that it's now abandoned. Not many people go to it. And you have to know locals to know how to get there, get GPS coordinates. Um, so Jake and Randy go to a town called Greenwood and they speak to the locals. And a lot of the locals there, they're older. They're of the older generation in school and they don't like city folk coming into their town. So Jake and Randy are asking around, where, how, how can we get to the Gold City? Where is Gold City? How do we get to Gold City? And they were in um, kind of a cafe at the time. And two old men say, why do you want to go there? And they said they wanted to ghost hunt and metal detect. And the old man was like, we don't like that sort of stuff here. This is, this is land of secrets. You don't. I've lost my story thought in my, you know what? Delete my story. <laughs> it's gone. I lost my page. Oh, shoot. Oh, that, yeah. No, it was going to be a good one. 
Um, Jake, go back to your, go to yours and I will find mine while you do yours. Oh, oh, okay. Let's that was horrible. Let's, right. let's do a toss the, from, toss. from Canadian Mike to pseudo Canadian Jake. Yeah. Okay. Just tapped out <laughs> this is a long story. Hopefully this will give you time to. Yeah, I'll find it. Okay. <laughs> uh, I call this one Pasadena ghost story. It's actually Spectre Attack in Pasadena, California. Let me give you the teaser. Are you ready for the teaser? Here it is. A new father battles a specter in his dreams and home near Pasadena, California in 2015. The final confrontation happens in a newborn's bedroom. Will he be able to protect his family? Let's kick it off. So in January 2015, Jordan a cartoonist and expectant father. So cartoonist, he works in the biz as in like legit animation. In fact, Jordan asterisk, um, cause he asked me to protect his name was one of the lead animators on, um, you know, the symptoms Futurama, you know, the spinoff from it looks like he worked on Futurama and he had a restless night. He stayed up late streaming anime on his computer until he could fall asleep. So as you can imagine, he's got stress, worry, anxiety, because he's about to be a new father that really wears on you. So as a computer, he heard this buzzing, you know, that kind you hear near power lines and his lights dimmed like a brownout it just came down to that very low level of light and stayed there. So his computer lost its connection. He couldn't stream anymore and static took over and then everything went black. Behind him, there was a shadow of a man reflected in his mirror and he was tall and he thought it was about seven feet high and he had these twig-like arms that hung lower than his knees. So you can imagine his fingers hanging below his knees and they flickered, kind of like when a spider gets in a web or a fly gets in a spider's web and it kind of just dances along that webbing. His fingers were just going back and forth. And he wore a top hat. It only lasted for a few seconds, but it was enough to jolt him awake and run around his house to check. And just to put it in context, that house was one of those mid-century Mid-century ramblers think the Brady Bunch house. That was pretty much what he had. And this was the hills around Pasadena. So Jordan, he goes looking around, checked everything. All the doors and windows were locked. So he was secure. But at 3 a.m., after he slid under those covers and he's next to his wife, his wife's name's Jasmine, he just tossed and turned for like an hour. And finally, Jasmine woke him up said, you know, take the sleeping pill because I can't sleep. You need rest. And so he did. But that was probably a mistake because that man, that thing with those fingers, it came to him in his dreams. And he remembered every detail. Normally, Jordan doesn't remember his dreams, but this thing seemed to be waiting for him as he would fall asleep and you would get that feeling of falling and jolting. He always saw it looking at him. And in that dream, which was pitch black, he could just smell dirt 
like fresh dirt. And he was in a pit. He could look up and he could see the night sky perfectly, but he was so cold. He was like so numb, even in his dreams. He just felt like he had no energy. His limbs just sat on the bed. And then it appeared and it swung its kingly fingers at him and slashed his back, knocked him down and was on top of him. And he could feel those knobby, long fingers just hooking into him. And it felt like it took these nails on those long fingers, just jabbed them in his chest and twisted. So Jasmine, she was woken up by this. And she could, she just said, it was like he was fighting something. He, he had this nightmare. He was swinging. He rolled over a bed. He almost fell out. It's like someone was throwing baseballs at him and he was kind of trying to dodge it. But the worst part of this is he couldn't breathe. He was just gasping for breath every time he lurched around in bed. And she was about to call 911 because she thought maybe it's an asthma attack or something when he woke up. And Jordan, he didn't, he didn't want to say what happened. He just said, it's night terrors. I had them as a kid. We've got a baby on the way. The baby's almost here. I'm just stressed out. It's anxiety. I'm worried. And within the month, Jasmine did have a little baby boy, but that character that he's so vividly remembered, they called him Mr. Scary. So after the month that his son was home, Jordan continued to have these, these fights with Mr. Scary. And every time he would have one of these nightmares, he came more and more real. And in fact, it got to the point where Jordan started to get bruises. So about three weeks into it, after his son was born, Jordan woke up and he had scratches and bruises all along his arms and his back and his chest. And Jordan just couldn't sleep anymore. He was like going through a day like he was a zombie. And in fact, he had he had the night before his son was born, he had one of these dream attacks. He didn't really remember his son being born. He was just so zapped and out of it. Right before his son's birth, and he was totally, totally scared about this. He got these deep, long scratches along his left shoulder down to his waist. And where for at the top and the bottom, it looked like he got beamed by a baseball. So you can imagine two big, deep purple bruises with three scratches going down that left him bleeding. He just like, you know, it felt like it was having a heart attack and this thing was on him, but it stopped at that point. And everything was fine for about the next month. So his son's now about two months old, but Mr. Scary came back and he came back with a vengeance. So Jordan had his son 
And, you know, his son was kind of like his dad. They liked to stay up all night. And they had been doing that um, since his son's birth and when he came home. And then he got the lights to flicker like that brownout. His computer fr froze. There was static. And then the monitor went black. And when Jordan turned around, he saw Mr. Scary. And he had fully manifested in the living room with him. He looked like an old white man in that black undertaker suit. So like we're talking poltergeist too, right? And his skin was so tight. You can see his cheekbones shut out. But he was so, so thin, wasted, gaunt. And his suit just seemed like curtains draped across twig-like bony body. Mr. Scary reached out to Jordan and Drew, Drew is his son's name, and exposed his hand as he reached out and had those like liver-colored age spots. And the skin was so white and thin, you could see his tendons just twisting in his hand and he flicked his fingers at the baby, just reaching out for him. Jordan could see his fingernails and they were long and sharp and urine yellow and you could see what looked like graveyard dirt just totally encrusted under his fingernails so jordan grabbed the baby and he ran he ran down the hallway and slammed the door shut he's in his son's room and mr scary who was just like this deep shadow was banging and banging on the door and jordan could see it just wavering across the bottom of the floor, across the hardwood floors in his son's room. And it seemed like his hand was just stretching and reaching underneath that door frame. So Jordan locked the door and the handle was jangling, just going back and forth like someone's trying to open it and banging and banging on the door, but couldn't quite break through. It was like there was some kind of barrier. And then the spirit howled like he kicked a dog because Jasmine woke up and she was attacking Mr. Scary. You see, Jasmine was bit into new age and these kind of protective things. And she had sage and azafetida stick and she had it burning like a candle and wafting the smoke at the spirit in her other hand. She had oil of a bremelin. So if you know that, that's like an anointing oil from way back in Christian days. She was flicking it like holy water. Now to her, when she saw Scary, he seemed just like this kind of black smoke dancing across the white door that led to her son's bedroom. And she could see it shaking and she could hear these faint screams coming from it. And Scary would just reach out, kind of swing this willowy wisp of smoke at her. But she would put up her hand and continue to fling the oil of a bremelin. And that stopped Mr. Scary. So inside the room, Jordan heard what sounded like a banshee wailing, like you're choking a banshee off. And overall, the battle, this fight was all of five minutes. And Scary dissipated with a whimper. From then on, they never had a problem with Mr. Scary or anything paranormal.
Very nice. Marvelous. Love that one. So that is a true story. I will say the back the backstory is they hit up ghostly activities and went to my herbs that protect against evil spirits post. Mm-hmm. And they sent me this as an email saying, I read this post, we did these things and we got rid of this entity. And I'm just like, oh, holy shit. That was totally academic in nature. I'm glad it worked out for you. <laughs> <laughs> There's the backstory. <laughs> you just have to believe in it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never heard of oil of bremelin until I wrote that article. I'm just like, oh, it's an anointing oil. Okay, great. <laughs> if it works, it works. If it works, it works. Mm-hmm. We, we so can all be like the Ghostbusters and, like, you know. <laughs> I totally want a proton pack. <laughs> anyway, so that is Pasadena Ghost Story. I will record that as a uh, podcast and I'll do the special effects and stuff That'd like that cool. for that one. I will, I'll probably publish that one this weekend. I like okay. that one. I'm glad you liked it. And Jake, what is the, uh, what is the URL for your, your podcast? Oh, well, I mean, you can go to ghostlyactivities.com and from the main navigation, just click podcast. Or if you want to ghostlyactivities.podbean.com, we'll get you there. There you go. All right, folks. Be there. Or don't. That's my bet. That's my bet. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that. Was that's one of my favorite ghost stories? It was great good. ghost. Story. It is a good one. How'd you like that? Mm-hmm. Who's next? Merle, Mike Moran, Canada Mike. Merle's crashed and burned and still looking for a story. Oh really? <laughs> that was a really good one. Yeah, I had it on my notepad. Yeah, it's next. <laughs> uh, I mean, I could do another one that's kind of scary like that mm-hmm. do you want me to do one i do this one's shorter it's okay. That's okay i don't i don't want to monopolize folks oh no, go ahead you're doing I think, well i think when i i need to write these stories down because i i get distracted too easy when i oh so i i really see bad. it's easy i've published all these to ghostlyactivities.com so i'm really just reading the screen in front of me. Okay. Um, so I, I'll tell you another true story. This is with my BFF, Celine Graham. Uh, and this happened to her. Um, we're from the Midwest originally. This is Valparaiso, Indiana ghost story. So if you're ready. By all means. The night of Halloween 2012 was ending simply enough for Celine. And she had just dropped off her three sons with her father for an evening of trick-or-treating. The only thing on her mind was a bubble bath and some wine. This is so true of Celine. (laughs) So (laughs) she locked the front door, threw her keys into the bowl on the nightstand, bolted the door, and headed upstairs. It's about 10 p.m. at night when she first heard the sounds on the top floor. And this is your stereotypical kind of split-level house, if you imagine the Midwest you know, stuff that was built in the 80s. And she heard a single knock. A few minutes later, another knock. And she didn't really pay so much attention to the sounds. I mean, it, it was a newish house settling on its foundation. So she just turned on the bathtub, threw in those little, those little um, pellets of bubble bath in there. She kicked back lavender smells good. So she's in the tub when a rumbling sound started. 
It was like the ground was shaking. I mean, the ground wasn't really shaking like you were having Trembler because let's be real, she's in Indiana. You don't really have earthquakes. But the thing is, it was above her and it really sounded like a police raid running down the top floor's hallway outside the bedroom. And it lasted for a couple of minutes and then just stops. Of course, she's in a panic. And she grabs her phone and she calls 911 to say, you know, there's someone in my house. And the police answered, even though Halloween, right, there's a lot of prank calls. But they said a police car would be right there to inspect the house. So she gets out, throws on her robe, and she goes down the stairs to the kitchen. So the bathroom, master bathroom is upstairs. So she goes down this hallway and goes in. And of course, like any good girl that has grown up outside of Chicago, she picks up a big ass kitchen knife. When she heard the rumbling on that top floor again, but this time it was deafening like a herd is galloping down that hallway, much shorter, much shorter, only maybe 10 to 15 seconds. So she's got the knife and she's going up the stairwells, the stairway. And she stopped just to see who could be in the hallway, but it was dark. So Celine yelled, get out now. I called the police. You don't need this trouble. And as she stepped up a little bit more to the top of the stairs, and she stood looking down this hallway, she could feel the vibrations. The rumbling had started again and just as loud as before. It seemed like a stampede, hearing the knocks and bangs just all across the hallway. She thought she was going to get engulfed by it, and she felt this very cool wind just blow right by. And then the front door made a slamming sound, but the door was locked. How could it slam shut? So she goes back downstairs. And she knows that there's got to be intruders. Maybe in the front yard, something happened. Maybe a window wasn't locked. And she's about to open the door and she stepped on her keys. So remember, the keys were in the bowl and now they're on the floor. So she picks them up and she's like, what, what? And she noticed the door is still bolted from the inside. So the police come and Celine, you know, she's like, like, what, how do I, like, I, I can't explain how and they're going to think I'm on drugs or something. Right. And she greets them at the doorstep and she just talks about the rumbling sound. She's just like, you know, a couple of people ran down the stairs or something. I, I really think someone maybe came in through the basement. I don't know. But everything seemed to be locked up tight. When they turned on all the lights, nothing really looked disheveled. There were no signs of any kind of forced entry. So the police were like, you know, if it happens again, call us. And now it's a little bit past 11. So Celine closes the door, takes her keys, you know, locks the door, bolts it shut, and she sits down with a nice glass of champagne because Celine's that kind of girl. 
and the TV turns back on by itself, all static. The remote is sitting across the room on the TV stand. That's a good one. Did she have any other things happen like later on or was it? Yeah, just- she did. She did. Um, not like the rumbling and stuff. Oh, they yeah. continue with the knocks, things say moving around, but she never had a problem after that in the house. So I don't think it was the house. It's just, it, it might've just been a happenstance, but nothing quite as traumatic as the, the running down the hallways. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It was very much, she explains it like if you're in Chicago, um, you know, I'm trying, if, if you're not from the area, you wouldn't know what kind of sounds like a, one of the elevated trains coming down the tracks, but without all the squealy metal oh, wow. is how she really explained it. So I didn't know how to say that on the page and say, well, it sounds like the L without all the screeching. And like, if you're not in Chicago, you're not going to understand that stuff. <laughs> you know? We've seen it in movies. <laughs> good point. Good point. Good point. Anyway. So that was Celine's Halloween story. Creepy, creepy. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That was the point of it being. Nice. I hope you enjoyed the performance, the hands, the eyes. Of course. Good. Yes. <laughs> the sound effects. That is the that is the tricky part about Halloween is that is the night where all the spooks are supposed to be out. Yeah. Yeah. And it could just be, you know, and she's size sensitive. I always call her. Hi, I'm Jake, the tech manager. Um, I'm the gadget guy. And this is my size sensitive friend, Celine. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so for all we know, that rumbling could very well have been a train. It might have just been a ghost train. Yeah, like, uh, oh, yeah, as, yeah, as as far as I know where the house was, because I did check into that stuff, has no association with the train or and Valparaiso is actually pretty far from Chicago. So I, I get it if it was like an old neighborhood and things had changed, maybe you would have that, but Valparaiso was essentially just farm land. Mm-hmm. So it could be a cattle stampede from the area. It was a newish subdivision. Yeah, you never know. But as far as there was like no train there. Like the beginning of Mars Attacks, you know, the cattle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did they smell barbecue? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Glad you enjoyed it. Very nice. All right. I'm going to save face. I got one. I got one. Okay. Yay. 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 Like, take so, us out, so- Mike. I'll take this out. So what happened was on my notepad, I, I just messaged Wendy. Um, half of my story was gone. So when I was reading it, I got flustered. I'm like, what the hell happened? So we're going to a different story. Gremlins. 100%. Demons, man. Demons. Demons from Apple hell. Absolutely. Or Android hell. Mm. Apple. Apple hell. But um, so this is a true story. This ha- This happened to me. It was when I was young. So it takes place in a city called Winnipeg, Manitoba. And in a historic district called St. Boniface. And my cousin lived in an old 1800s house. It was a historic home. It had one of the little plaques on it and the whole nine yards. And um, it was in the seedy part of town. Well, no, change the word, older part of town. And... Um, we were going out to go to the store and I'm like, dude, you didn't lock your door. He's like, don't worry about it. My friends look after the house. I'm like, there's nobody in the house. He's like, Oh, there are my friends. I'm like, okay. 
And um, whatever, we go to the store, we come back. The house still looks old and scary inside um, because they used to do Halloween. And so he had a bunch of old wooden coffins that looked like old cowboy coffins that he had made that he had just all displayed over through his house. Kind of, I would say it's cool now, but it's creepy when you're young. Um, anyhow, fast forward to that night. And he's like, are you good? I'm like, yep. He's like, don't go in the basement and you'll be good. I'm like, what's in the basement? He's like, my friends. And I'm like, okay. Last time I was down there, there was an old drum set and a washer and dryer and like stone walls. That's it. And I'm like, okay. Anyhow, I'm trying to fall asleep. And all of a sudden I hear what sounded like big size 12 steel toes coming up the stairs. Like, and then the door swings open. Then you hear stomping all over the kitchen floor. And then you hear the steps go back down the stairs. And then once they're down the stairs, the door slams shut. It happened over 10 times. So curiosity kills the cat. I go upstairs. I hear my cousin with his girlfriend. So I ain't going to open the door because I hear things. And then I go back downstairs and it's happening again. I'm like, what the hell, man? And I, I, I don't know. I was probably 14 at the time, maybe 13. And I get the courage to go look in the, the kitchen. And I see the bloody door open. And I see, well, I hear see the footsteps on the kitchen floor. And then I see here the footsteps go down the stairs and I see the door shut. I am not dreaming. I'm wide awake because I'm scared shitless. And that time I go upstairs and I bang on my cousin's door. I don't care what's going on in there. And I'm like, dude, what the hell? He's like, I told you, man, my friends look after the house. They're probably just seeing who you are. And I didn't sleep that night. The end. That's pretty cool. Oh. <laughs> yeah, friends on the other side. Yes. <laughs> Literally. It might have been a relative. Good to be. Mike, have you heard the uh the story of uh what was her name, June? Aurora? Aurora. The, uh, Aurora, it's, oh. it's, I guess it's, uh, I the didn't realize martyr. it was a, yeah, the child martyr. I didn't realize it was a real story. I mean, a horrible, right. horrible right. story. Um, you know, all sorts of things, but I guess it's really famous. Was it in Winnipeg? It was not far. It was in, uh, Manitoba, not, not British Columbia, but, uh, Alberta. Or Saskatchewan. That area, yes. Yeah. The prairies. Okay. Yeah. Well, they, they did a movie, a um, found footage movie, you know, which was not the best found footage movie because you're like, what? Why did they have to have all this stuff? But yeah. I wish they would have focused more on the creepy little ghost story and maybe had, you know, because, you know, creepy little girl showing up is, is pretty scarier a lot. Oh, you know satanic town towny people or whatever but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um but yeah i guess it's a really famous story over there and they you know you can see her grave and people leave little toys and things at her grave to try to appease her so she doesn't wow. take revenge on uh, the townspeople and everything. what was her name again 
A-U-R-O-R-E. Aurora. Aurora. That's definitely Aurora. a French. I mean, Manitoba has a French community. It is French, yes. Because most of the because most of the YouTube videos, except for the one Wendy sent me, the most of the YouTube videos I looked up were all in French. And mm-hmm. I kind of got some of it because some of the words are very similar to English, which I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I know what they're talking about. 40% of English is French. It's <laughs> yeah. like, we. Oui. <laughs> Like the wee yarboard. Mon dieu! It's a fantastic! English is probably the worst Franken language of them all. Yeah, it's totally a Frankenstein. (laughs) Let's see, we're going to add a bit of French, we're going to add a little Latin, we're going to throw in a bunch of German. And Viking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You ever watch uh, the movie Pontypool? Mm mm. Mm-mm. Oh, it's it's very interesting. Actually, it's a Canadian movie, so you know, mm. uh, might want to like watch it, Mike, to you know support <laughs> support our local actors. Support <laughs> <laughs> mm. Canada. Pontypool. Canada. Pontypool. P o n t y p o o l. I might be wrong about being can- Canadian, but I don't think so. What was it? Ponty p o n t y p o o l. But anyway, it was about the um, about the language. English, I think, was the disease that was turning these people into zombies. It was really, <laughs> it, was, it was very fascinating. It was very, uh, um, yeah, it was, it was very intellectual, but it was fun too. So okay, good. I haven't seen it in a while, but <laughs> it's a good movie. Cool. I'll check it out. Maybe we can watch it on Ghostly Cinema. Ooh. You can find it. I haven't been able to like found a di- found mm-hmm. a download version. Yeah, I think I think the next movie we're going to do. I've been holding off because I was waiting for this movie to come out, which is Bad Candy, the Halloween anthology. Oh yeah, at September yeah. comes out on September 10th. So that's oh, Mikey. Right. He's just like. You know, he's like, Daddy, pay attention to me. Love you, baby boy. Hush. That's my 100 pound pit bull, <laughs> aka 46 kilogram pit bull. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Such a sweetheart. He's my little boy. All your babies are sweethearts. Mm, yes, my little babies oh. are. And soon we'll have a little white pit bull girly that's hooked on meth. Well, guys. I'm just Is it that time? I know face. we started late, but yeah, we did. Uh, it, it has flown by, believe it or not. Mm. All done such a fantastic job with your stories. And I'm sorry, mine disappeared. I had a really good one. Let's golf clap everyone. And I thought I, I saved the link and it, you know, <laughs> bravo to you all. No worries. <laughs> Yeah, oh, next time I'll have some written down so I can. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, when it comes oh, to Halloween, we'll have another spooky story night because that's usually what we do. Oh, golly, yeah. So I, I need to write like, these stories out. Woo-hoo. I'd be interested. I, I will come come out swinging. <laughs> Yay! So I would like to say that since my last visit on here, there has been an update in my life. Oh, to tell. Congratulations, by the way. <laughs> <gasps> Someone put a ring on it. Nice. Someone put a ring on oh, it. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy. When did the nuptials occur, or are you just engaged? 
just engaged. Okay. <laughs> but that was a that was a fun little story. Not scary in the slightest, though. At the same campus that my scary story was based at. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I asked him, and it was at the school that I went to in the town where we first met. On our three-year anniversary. In front of the statue on that campus of the Roman goddess Minerva. (laughs) So, you know, being witnessed by a goddess. I'm okay with this. Everyone go clap. Yay! Yay! Very cool. I'll convince him to join me on camera. (laughs) (laughs) When he's not working. Mm. Will it be a hand um, fasting as opposed to a regular ceremony? Or, <clears throat> we're, we haven't even started discussing details ah, okay. yet because everything's way too crazy. Though mm-hmm. I have had two customers at the store that I work at express interest in wanting to help with the wedding. One who is a music teacher who wants to do the music for it. And another one who informed me that she's apparently an ordained pastor who would be happy to officiate it. Okay. So having been in the same situation as Chandler, all I can say is fill out the legal paperwork with the state. Then you can do whatever the hell you want. (laughs) (laughs) Hand fasting is not accepted by most states in the nation. I'm in New York. They might do it, but still f- fill out that paperwork. Yeah. I got hitched in California, and and the lady that hitched us looked like Diana Ross. <laughs> Hair, skinny, heels. It. it was amazing. Love it. Neat. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm planning like informal part with the hand fasting and formal with, you know, what's going to be actually accepted. Um, <laughs> the real trouble is inviting people because if i try to invite my father my sister won't want to come and if i invite my sister i can't invite my dad this is why we have zoom (laughs) well this is why i'm thinking have the ceremony well i also need to worry about being able to have one of my brother-in-laws attend so i'm figuring ceremony in new york reception in canada because he can't come over because of some legal bs that he got screwed over with oh someone has a felony okay no it's not even that (laughs) he was was working and the person who had hired him screwed up on their paperwork Uh. and as a result screwed him over so now he can't come over and likewise my father can't go over to canada because he's had one too many duis um (laughs) (laughs) yep Fun times. Where did they live in Canada? <laughs> but that's why I'm figuring maybe have the ceremony in New York. That way my dad can attend, but then have the reception in Canada. That way I don't have to deal with him getting drunk. Look, you go to Niagara Falls, you got one part of the family on that side, one on that, know, and you have right? big projector screens. And there you go. That could work. <laughs> that could work. Mm-hmm. There you go. Just be like, get a boat. Have it like have the actual ceremony in the center of the boat. Mm-hmm. Have my dad on one side of it, on the American side. Have my brother-in-law on the Canadian side of it. There, mm-hmm. we go. there you go. Can you just be far enough from shore to be in international waters, and therefore the captain is the official. 
Mm. Ooh. That, you know, everyone's wearing their raincoats because, you know, the waterfall. (laughs) 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 Okay. You travel take. And then you can pull out the buffet. (laughs) Everyone can have some chicken saute. There you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, (laughs) Or you go to Canada to the Peace Garden in British Columbia and Blaine, Washington, or wherever it is on our side. Yeah, there's an area in Blaine, Washington and Surrey, British Columbia, where Americans and Canadians can go chill and have a picnic without any border drama. You just go. It's like the DMZ. It's called the Peace Portal Park. Like, Mm -hmm. literally. Yep. See, my my dad knows some loopholes concerning. Uh, one of the Mohawk territories nearby because it covers territory in New York, Ontario, and Quebec. Mm-hmm. Yay, Akwasasne. Yay. <laughs> oh, I could tell you some. And you are Mohawk, that. correct? Um, my father and my oldest sister are registered Mohawk. I, By the time I could register, they had changed their laws. So I, yeah. Hmm. Cool. Gotta love those blood quantum requirements. All righty then, kids. Mm. Like we're so happy for you, Chandler. Yay! Thank you. Yay. <laughs> thank you for taking time and being on with us. You you were you for- quiet though. <laughs> That's okay. We're we're a totally North American type thing. We've got Missouri, Washington, Minnesota, New York, British Columbia, Dominion of Canada, represented tonight. Mm-hmm. We love Woo! virtual broadcasts. Salem <laughs> next week. I know I'm such a jealous bitch. I need to get something from those witches. All right, kids. Well, I don't have anything going on scheduled yet, but we'll get more shows going. It's just kind of getting to be that time of year again. So, Mm -hmm. all we have to do is drink profusely and we'll find some kind of show to put on. (laughs) That's why I haven't been able to make it to half of these. And I feel terrible about that because work has just been an absolute disaster. (laughs) So, working at a grocery store, of course, half of our staff have been, you know, high school students there for the summer. Now they're all gone. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> Thankfully, I have the next three days off. Yay! I'm not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> Write more scary ghost stories yeah. the next time we do spooky <laughs> story night. And the voices. Mm-hmm. See, that consume your soul. And the hood. In the hood, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Your soul is forfeit <laughs> in my dominion. <laughs> so that's not that's not the scariest voice I have, actually. <laughs> okay. I will devour your heart. Nothing worse than the psychotic doll. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. The uncanny valley gets us all. 
Dude, Mr. <laughs> Creepy disappeared. Yeah, where's Mr. Creepy? He keeps coming back. <laughs> oh, there he there is. He, is. <laughs> he keeps disappearing. <laughs> I thought maybe the clown ate him. <laughs> uh, my sister would never be able to watch this she has a terrible phobia of clowns she can't even <laughs> listen to the song enter the clowns it's <laughs> uh, all right guys well i don't have anything else anybody want to share anything else or i have a box that was sent to me from indiana containing two haunted dolls Ooh. I- Gained the testicular fortitude to open them. I've had the box for about three weeks. Um, I don't. I don't know why. So, quick ghost story. Well, um, I got this girl on Instagram. I'm not going to go into too much details. Said they need to go give away. Need to go bad juju. So I'm like, I'll take them and give them to Ross. And which is exactly what I'm doing. My my goal is to investigate the dolls, like do some research, run some tests, run some EVPs and all that sort of stuff and then um next time i see ross and june or or i'll even ship them to ross i want to like donate to his his museum but um so what happened was i put them under my desk and i even i put, I put a crystal on it jake and black onyx <laughs> i'm not kidding you yeah that, yeah i mean that'll that'll cancel out the negative juju right there done but it didn't. Um, oh. What happened was when I got back from my vacation, I went to Barkerville for four nights. Um, I come back and no one came in my place because I'm gone, obviously. Um, my daughter and I go on our trip. We come back and this box is in the middle of my living room floor. Uh-oh. I'm like, I don't like you anymore to the box. <laughs> Chucky. so there's a doll that looks like mandy from quinnell june you've seen that one Mm -hmm. and it's in late 1800s early 1900s doll with like the sawdust stuffing okay Uh -uh. Uh, and and it's got a little cracked face too and the other one looks like a little baby dead and it's no good i'm just gonna keep it closed for a while longer um we want to unbox them on saturday but we've said that for the past three saturdays <laughs> we could do, we got to do that live stream merle yeah we got to do that live stream about to say oh, yep yep so we can watch you as you get savagely murdered by no <laughs> that would be awesome it'd be i would take one for the team on that That'd be good. <laughs> it's just gonna jump up i'm gonna cut you bitch yep. <laughs> Yeah, uh, straight your- razor and shit. Aside from the black onyx, and that is if you have access to any like la- um, lilac essential oil or something like that. Mm-hmm, lilac okay. is supposed to deal with specifically neg- like negative ghosts. Okay. Or negative spirits. Dragon so we're spirit. gonna so we're gonna get three kilos of kosher sea salt. We're gonna pour <laughs> around that bitch. Oh. I mean, I mean that will also work. Enough salt, <laughs> and you kill everything. And pretty much, great, including yeah. your yard. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think so. What we'll do is we'll take it out to the fire pit. Salt around the fire pit. Mm-hmm. Throw on the flammable anointing oil. (laughs) (laughs) And then 
Burn, bitch. Burn. My <laughs> little pouch of lavender. Onyx. Yes. <laughs> lavender is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lavender, <laughs> lavender is mostly good just for getting things to come fucked down. Um, <laughs> like if you have in your home, lavender will get them to, you know, be less likely to throw books at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> huh. Dragon's blood. I'm still into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It smells really good, too. And that'll just drive shit away. Um, <laughs> and keep it away, though. <laughs> yes. No, you should have used granite, Mike. Granite? To granite. smash it? Just go, bam, die, bitch, <laughs> die, 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 die. <laughs> Sucker never would have moved to that living room. <laughs> but I honestly don't know how it did that, because there's nothing here that, that would move the dolls. And I know. So this is what we do. We just get an iron spike and a big hammer, and you put out <laughs> little Cindy's head and go, <laughs> go, bitch, you ain't moving shit. Empire approach, I see. (laughs) Nail the corpses to the ground. That way they do not rise as the undead. That's right. right. (laughs) These dolls, I don't know how much the posting must have cost, but they got here in in like four days. Wow. Well, when they put it on customs, they could have just GTFO. Yeah, you know, <laughs> on it. Got up to the border. They're like, nope. <laughs> Americanskis, Americanskis. It's Indiana. They're very religious. Indiana. Don't send me hate mail. It's true. You elected Pence, and they'll just like, okay, <laughs> off you go. Let's go find Air Canada. Shoot. Yeah. <laughs> They're coming back down to you, June. You know. <laughs> well, maybe when I come up to get little puppy. We can do the haunted doll exchange too. We'll be like, it's like this is this is the puppies. This this puppies toys. Puppies toys. Toy. And then as we're going by Bellevue, I'm like, air milk. Here, June. I'm at 405. This exit. Good puppy. puppy. Then we might be facing like a Jumanji situation. (laughs) (laughs) And then June will be like, do, 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 do. Hi, Ross. It's Mm -hmm. me. (laughs) I've got two very sensual, hot, haunted dolls for you. And he's like, I'm there. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll be right let, there. <laughs> let me put them in my little display case in the Death Museum. Of course, I'd still walk in as soon as I see them. I'll pull out like the footlong, you know, iron nail and go. <laughs> <laughs> I go like wall art. <laughs> <laughs> They're definitely case worthy. Cool. <laughs> I think they they fit in really nice there. Mm -hmm. Pinned against the wall with cast iron steel. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. They need to live and breathe. No, (laughs) no. They need a nail in their freaking head. (laughs) (laughs) They need to be cuddled. They need love too. (laughs) It has an F stutter. I'm like, you're a doll. You got sawdust. You back talk me. Burn your ass. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's what we should. We should make. 
we should make voodoo dolls Ooh, for a Halloween I, project. Ooh, we could do that say. online. That would be fun. <gasps> One moment, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. 